from the Athanasian Creed. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Today is Trinity Sunday, uh, which is our Feast of Title. It means that this is the, the day that our church is named after, and so it's kind of a big deal for us. And it's also the one day each year that we talk about the nature of God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Most importantly, it's the one day each year that I get to break out every technical term that I learned in seminary. So what I did is, if you want to go ahead and turn to your bulletin on the back, you have a glossary of terms. I'm kidding. Don't look. It's not there. I'm not actually going to do that to you. But the nature of the Trinity, I mean, that's a big question, right? That uh, the so-called Athanasian Creed that I just mentioned, you know, there's one line where it says, you know, the Father is incomprehensible, the Son is incomprehensible, the Holy Spirit is incomprehensible, and yet not one incomprehensible, but three incomprehensibles. And so, normally we get into the different heresies that, you know, involve misunderstandings with the Trinity, but this year I want to do something a little bit different. This year, rather than approach God as maybe a scientist examining a phenomenon and, or pontificating on the hypostatic union, I really want us to kind of look at God and seek God as a relationship, a relationship for whom we were created and with whom we will spend from now until eternity future. And after the sermon, we're going to have um, the Nicene Creed. It's going to be done a little bit differently today. It's going to be um, done in plain chant, which will be a different experience for us that I'm looking forward to. I've never heard that before, but in the creed, you can really see the nature of God and how it comes out. Uh, but one of the reasons that I want us to be focusing on the nature of God today and saying, like, God, who are you? Is because I think sometimes, right, we're those people who, when we, when we approach God, it's like taking somebody out to dinner or, or having a lunch with somebody, and have you ever met somebody like this? They're like, you start telling them your story, and they're like, okay, that's enough about you. Like, that's fine. But let's talk more about me, what I'm about, what I like, what I need. What my, you, ever, you ever met anybody like that? Yeah? No? You're talking to one, right? I mean, I'm right here. Um, but, but, you know, that's, but honestly, that's kind of how we approach God sometimes, isn't it? Not overly interested in the nature of God or what He does, but kind of more interested in what He wants to do for us. And that wouldn't be so bad because, you know, children can be narcissistic and we forgive them except for one vital point. The nature of God, who God is, shapes everything about us and our experience. Just as children are shaped by the relationship that they have with their own parents, the knowledge of the world is shaped by that relationship, so too we are shaped by God, by His nature, by our relationship with Him. Here's what I mean. I'm going to ask you some basic life questions. You ready? I want you to think about them for a second. What is your value, your worth? And who gets to define that? What do you think? What are the full range of your needs? What will make you happy or at least satisfied? And who can meet those for you? The full range. Here's another basic question. What is the meaning or purpose of your life? And who decides that? 
As a culture, we've largely forgotten that these are questions that are rooted in our understanding of God. And you see it especially among the younger generation, right? Like people like my age or younger. Remove God, and here's the answers that we've been able to come up with on our own. You ready? My worth is whatever I determine it to be. But I also would kind of appreciate society-wide acceptance, and maybe if you like my social media posts, then I can also reaffirm that. Right? My needs, whatever makes me happy, is, you know, this momentary hobby that I'm engaged in, or, you know, this lamp, or this chair, or, you know, this. This is, this is it. I found it. Or, you know, I'll find it out eventually. I'll figure it out. Is that familiar to you? Here's, here's another response without knowing God. My purpose in this life is this cause celebre, right? This cause du jour, whatever's the big thing at the time until it becomes unpopular and society has decided to move on. And I guess I have to find a new purpose, a new meaning. Is that familiar to you? See what happens when you, when you, when you take God out of the equation. The most basic questions of life don't have a foundation. They don't have an answer. Now again, by basic, I don't mean shallow, right? Those are deep questions. You bring those up at a party and people aren't going to want to talk to you, right? But by basic, I don't mean shallow. I mean the basis, the foundation of our lives, what we build our lives on. They form our understanding of ourselves and the world around us. And I believe that the answers to these questions are found in the nature of God as Trinity, as three persons, in perpetual divine relationship with one another. And so three points for today. Point one, God's nature reveals our worth. Point two, God's nature reveals our needs. And point three, God's nature reveals our purpose. So, ready? Worth needs purpose. It's not a great acronym, WNP, but we're, that's what we're going to dive into. Let's jump in. Point one, God's nature reveals our worth. There's a timeless economic principle that the value of something, what it is worth, is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. You familiar with that idea? The value of something, the worth is, is what someone is willing to pay for it. Um, Hence the value of cryptocurrency. And uh, have you heard of these things called NFTs? They're like these digital things. I really tried to research these things to explain them in a sermon. I got nowhere fast. Uh, you can explain them to me in coffee hour. But, but you know, I can't, but, but there's a market for them, so they have some worth. They have some value. Utility isn't necessary to determine value either. My younger brother had this amazing, ba uh, was a basketball card collection, right? He had all Allen Iverson and whoever else. Vince Carter was popular at that time. And um, I didn't really get it. It wasn't my thing. But, but I wasn't really sure the utility beyond, like, flinging them across the room when I was upset with him and I knew I could get them, right? I, you know, they didn't have any utility to me. But, but that didn't determine their worth either, right? People desired them. And my own kids. You know where I'm going, right? From a strictly pragmatic sense, they don't bring a lot to the table at the house, right? I mean, they're not paying their way. You know, they can barely clean up their own messes. But, you know, I would just about fling myself off of Mount Kilimanjaro for their sake. Despite the fact, and I don't want you to miss this, despite the fact that my wife and I would likely have, have been perfectly satisfied and led meaningful lives without them, even if they had never existed. And so it is with God. The one term I'm going to throw at you today is the term aseity. 
It's one of the attributes of God. And what it means is God exists of and from Himself. He is uncreated. He is absolutely self-sufficient. He has within Himself His own reasons for existence. God needs nothing beyond God, which means that He did not create us because He somehow needed us. You know, God as the Trinity exists as three persons endlessly pouring out love and affection and honor and praise and glory to one another and have since before time began, perfectly fulfilled, perfectly self-sufficient, no deficiency. God never didn't lack anything before we came along. And what that means is that He created us not because He needed us, but because He wanted us. And once created, we have caused no end of trouble, have we? Murder, theft, dishonesty, open rebellion, cruelty, maliciousness, you name it. And yet, and yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God the Father sent God the Son to die for our sins so that we could be united with Him in perfect relationship by God the Holy Spirit. And we saw in our text from today, it's through the Holy Spirit that we receive that love of God that He's pouring out among members of the Trinity. So let me ask you about this question of worth. Knowing the price that was paid, what does that say about your worth? And who determined it? Which brings us to our second point, God's nature reveals our needs. One of the things that my wife and I's family do when we do um, birthdays or Christmas, you know, all the lists that you pass around back and forth, uh, we found this great website called Gifster. If you get nothing else out of the sermon, write down Gifster. It's a great website. Uh, I'm kidding. But what we do, what you do on Gifster is you, you, you have this list and you put up all the things that you think that you want, and people can anonymously pick them off the list and check them off or reserve them. And what I found whenever I go back to my last year's list is that I am unbelievably bad at determining my own needs, right? Like, I'm terrible at knowing what I need. Three years ago, I was like, I really need a shore fishing pole. This is going to, this is going to be what fills that gap, that hole. It's going to make me happy. I think I've used it once in three years. I'm pretty sure it's behind a few uh, two-by-fours in the garage. In fact, I know it is. Uh, from a few years ago, I got this, like, $150 great learn-to-play banjo kit, and I was like, this is it, because I had played a little bit before, and I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to master this thing. And I think, honey, what's in the hall closet somewhere? I, maybe. Never used it. You know, and I know that I have this stack of books that I'll probably never read, but I bring them from room to room every now and then. You, know, you shift something around because you're like, I'm, you're still important to me, but I just can't get to you right now. We're terrible at determining our own needs. We're awful at it. And I don't think it's just me, right? I think this is a universal problem. I'm guessing it's universal because I watch my own sons who pointedly rebel against everything that they need, right? They, they, you know, they could be tired beyond all get out, and they're like, I don't need a nap. You're like, okay. I don't need healthy food, just chicken nuggets. Well, buddy, that's not okay, right? I don't need medicine. It's like they, they pointedly rebel against everything they need. We're all terrible at determining our own needs. We're not always good at knowing what we need, but God does. And there's a clue in His very nature as a relationship that He reveals to us what our primary need is. 
As God's nature is relationship among members of the Trinity, so too our primary need is to be in relationship. I was up in Orlando this past week taking a class on um, counseling children, and I've become more and more convinced that at the basis of our nature, fundamentally, we are wired for attachment and that a relationship is our basic need. That we have this deep-seated need to form secure attachments and that without experiencing those relationships at an early age, we get knocked off center. You know, for example, with ambivalent attachment, children whose parents are inconsistent or unpredictable or unreliable, they show affection sometimes, sometimes they don't, sometimes they comfort when you're crying, sometimes they don't. They often become adults who are highly anxious, clingy, and insecure at exploring the world. And here's the thing that happens when you don't have a secure relationship when you're young. If, if you've got ambivalent attachment, you doubt your own worth. You doubt your own value. And you believe that others would be capable of taking care of you if you were worth it. It's a hard thing to carry into life. If you have another type of insecure attachment called avoidant attachment, these are children whose parents were strict or emotionally distant. And they might come across as easygoing and independent, um, but they keep their social interactions and bonds at the surface level. They don't typically doubt their own worth, but they believe that others are incapable of meeting their needs, and they freely use an emotional off switch. Both have difficulty forming intimate relationships. Attachment and security is so important for us. Both of these types of people have difficulty trusting others with questions such as, and these are basic questions we ask each other, can I count on you, depend on you? Are you there for me? Will you respond when I need? Now, we obviously have other fundamental needs, right, like food and water and shelter, but what's amazing is when you study people and you see that they have these securely attached relationships, they can do without a lot. They can do with, with, with little food, little water, you know, terrible um, shelter or, or ability to find these physical uh, and external senses of security. And it's funny, when you, when you look at Scripture and you look at what Paul says about this in his own life, you see this all over the place, what he's able to do and do without. You know, because Paul, when we look at him in his letters in the New Testament, he wrote to Timothy, he's like, you know, Without food and without clothing, I've learned to be content. That's, that's pretty huge. As he wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, he says, he could be content whether he was well-fed or hungry and plenty or in want because, and you know this verse, it is Christ that gives him strength. Well, what's going on here? Well, Paul has learned what he means to God. He has developed that relationship with Christ in such a powerful way that he has a secure attachment with the creator of the universe. You see, God, who is by his nature designed us for a relationship, provides us with this attachment even if we don't experience it elsewhere. Even if you get it from nowhere else and no one else, you have it through God. So when we ask create, uh, attachment questions of God, right? God, can I count on you or depend on you? Are you there for me? Will you respond when I need? We learn from the cross of Christ that the answer is yes. Yes, yes, always in the affirmative. See, God who created us knows our needs better than we ourselves know our needs, 
and he, uh, he meets our needs by inviting us to join him in this Trinitarian relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's referring to in our text from Romans today, in our epistle, when he writes that through Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace, the grace of God, the relationship of God. It's a restorative grace, and it's a grace that strengthens us to live as God has called us to live, which brings us to our third and final point. God's very nature as the Trinity reveals our purpose. So, you guys follow me. First one was worth, needs, and now the Trinity reveals our purpose. Let's look back at our text for this morning from Romans. Paul just describes the grace of God that we are entering into through faith, this wonderful relationship of the Trinity. And then he does an immediate pivot, and he talks about what? Suffering. You might think that's kind of an odd juxtaposition, right? But Paul knows a thing or two about suffering. In 2 Corinthians, he lists the things. You remember what Paul's gone through for the sake of the gospel? Paul, I mean, so when Jesus was lashed before the crucifixion, you familiar with that, the, the 40 lashes minus one? Paul went through that five times. He was beaten with rods three times. He was stoned and left for dead once. He was imprisoned multiple times. He also went through three shipwrecks. I mean, if you're doing God's work, wouldn't you think things would go a little smoother than this? Three shipwrecks. Who does that happen to? And then on one of the shipwrecks, he survives. He gets out. He builds a fire on an island to get warm, and he gets bit by a snake. You know, at some point, you're just going to be like, Lord, what is going on? But Paul doesn't dwell on his suffering as a woe is me or I can barely do this or how am I going to endure. He talks about suffering in a positive light. It produces things, right? Perseverance, character, hope. The point that Paul is making is that the relationship that he has with God is what enables him to fulfill his purpose. Being grounded in that relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit enables him to fulfill the purpose that God has called him to do. One more riff on attachment theory. If you are securely attached, that relationship functions as two things. You ready? Safe haven and secure base. Safe haven because it's a place you can go to be safe. Secure base because you can launch from there to take on the world. You can launch from there to go into whatever is in front of you. I brought my boys to class with me on Thursday or Friday, or one of those days, to help with a presentation. And I walk in right near the little kids. They're terrified of adults and classrooms. They're clinging to my legs. Within 10 minutes, those kids are running up and down with Hot Wheels cards in their hand. I'm trying to, like, pull them back to me frantically, right? Why? Because they, they were secure enough in the fact that I was their dad and I was in the room that they could explore and go out and take that safety with them into a larger context. That's what happens to us when we're securely grafted into the relationship with God, when we're brought into that relationship. We don't have to be worried as much about things anymore. Speak the truth. Be courageous. Stand strong. You know, all my kids have is this, you know, this model of dad that they carry around inside of them, but do you know what we have inside of us? We have the Holy Spirit. Last week, Father Chris mentioned um, Normandy, right? The D-Day, the landing, where victory was assured as soon as the beach was taken. It wasn't, it wasn't there yet, but it was assured. 
And one of the reasons for that, right, is, is, is you get a solid supply line, and, and you can keep moving and keep conquering and keep taking ground. Well, as Christians, that's our bond through the Holy Spirit with God that enables us to launch out and do what He's called us to do. And what is it that God's called us to do? Well, if He is by His nature relationship, that's fundamental to who God is, then our purpose must be to enter into that relationship and bring other people with us into that relationship. You want to know your purpose? Look at the nature of God. God inviting us into this eternal self-love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not something that we can manufacture for ourselves. It's not something that we can earn, but it is this grace that we receive and revel in and invite others to join us in by the grace of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the one who has created all things that exist. You have woven yourself into your creation. You have structured things such that everything points back to you. You have created us for yourself. You have created us to reflect who you are in your nature as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would so move our hearts that you would direct us towards entering further into that relationship with you to explore the great mystery that you are that we may become attached to you and through you find strength to do in the things that you are calling us to do and live the lives that you are calling us to. In your Son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.